1: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is believe.
0: Hello, Raider Nation, and welcome to another edition of the Believe in Raiders podcast, Believe Podcast Network. I'm Dennis Ackerman. Please be joined by former Raider great Stanford Rout. Dan, how's it going?
1: Pretty good, pretty good, man. Got the W last week, uh, beat the Broncos. So uh, looking for bigger and better things against the Eagles on Sunday.
0: Stan, we were wondering in last week's podcast, how are the Raiders going to respond? Are they going to be able to block out all the noise with the John Gruden resignation? And I think they came out early, especially on that first drive, and they kind of set the tone for the game. I mean, they went down, they scored a touchdown. Was, I believe it was the first time in 12 games that they actually scored a touchdown on their opening drive. What impressed you the most about the win over Denver? Probably
1: just the complete victory. Uh, When you look at all phases of the game, you see uh, the defense stepping up, making some big plays, getting in there, getting stacks. You see, uh, offensively, obviously they're going ahead and making big plays in the running game, making big plays in the pass game with the re- receivers, the running backs, just uh an all-around team victory against. Albeit, we know Denver Broncos start all three and zero, then they've had a three-game skid. We all know that, but just uh, but just being able to go ahead and bounce back because that was a perfect game. That was a perfect. That was a perfect space. To go ahead and lay another egg right after the Chicago Bears lost and easily go ahead and have everybody make the excuse of okay they just lost their head coach, the team is in disarray, this team is tanking it things like that, you got a new interim head coach, I think that was the perfect space to go ahead and take it take one on the chin, and also have the world go ahead and make an excuse for you. But you know, they came together, they showed that, you know what, we're not going to go ahead and use this as an excuse. We're going to go ahead, use this to band together. So like I said, did they beat the uh, Baltimore Ravens right now who are at five and one? Did they beat the Buffalo Bills right now? Did they beat the Los Angeles Rams? No, they didn't. They beat the Denver Broncos, but still nonetheless, I would say exactly what the W meant versus uh, the team that they beat.
0: Hey, you play who's on your schedule, right, Stan?
1: Yes. No doubt about it.
0: Well, Stan, I want to go back when the Raiders first hired Gus Bradley, and you and I were talking about it. I said, Stan, what is the key to the cover three defense? And you said you got to pressure the quarterback up front. And I was like, hmm, the Raiders had 21 sacks a year ago. which ranked near the bottom of the league, if not last. Uh, they signed Ngakwe, Yannick Ngakwe, to help improve that pass rush. But, yep. Stan, I mean – The one guy who's standing out, and I think he can make the case he's one of the top defensive ends in football right now, is Max Crosby. I mean, he has five sacks. He's one of the top uh, defensive ends when it comes to pressuring the quarterback. His motor is just nonstop. What are you seeing from him? I think we're just seeing
1: the maturation process from everything that happened back in year one he had 10 sacks as a rookie. So it's not like he's just all of a sudden just came out of nowhere. What it is is that he was not drafted in the top 10. He was drafted in the top 15. Because right now, if you were to go back and look at his rookie year, if he was somebody who had been drafted really, really high at 10 sacks, he probably would've gone to the Pro Bowl that year. You look at Nick Bosa, he went to the Pro Bowl as a rookie for the 49ers. And I believe he had like nine or 10 sacks, something in that area. You look at Chase Young last year, another Ohio State product. He believed, I believe he had seven sacks at the time whenever he uh, whenever he got uh selected to the pro bowl well Max Crosby had more than both of those guys as a rookie did not go to the Pro Bowl, but nonetheless, that's not the point. So all I'm simply saying is that you're just now seeing a guy who is now putting it together again, like he did his rookie year, but now he understands the game a little bit better. The game is probably slowing down to him. I remember having him on my podcast back in, I wanna say maybe May or June and he said it flat out that like, that's one of his goals on top of winning the division going to the playoffs, that he wants to go to the Pro Bowl this year. And I think that now, you're starting to see everything come together where now he realizes like, okay, you know what? I was a little fourth round pick out of Eastern Michigan, but you know what, who cares about that? Like now I know I can play on this level. 10 sacks, my rookie year showed that I knew that I could. Last year was a little bit of a down year, but now he's coming back with a resurgence. So I think that right now you're just seeing everything in its totality come together with the talent. Now the knowledge of the game, everything is slowing down. I got a new defensive coordinator. I got another bookend guy who can and get after the quarterback and uh, Yannick Ngakwe. So I think that right now you're just seeing everything finally come together. And that's why he's now out there having fun with it.
0: Yeah, Solomon Thomas has also done a nice job of uh, pressuring the quarterback as well. He was a free agent signing and he has played very well for the Raiders. You know, Stan, I was thinking, I'm like, who does Max Crosby remind me of? And I, I just couldn't uh, compare him to anybody. And I know we love to do that in the media. Anybody come Definitely to do. mind for you as well?
1: oh wow right that's, that's exactly
0: that was kind of my reaction
1: oh wow uh i would i mean i don't
0: know if we've seen I, you know what like I,
1: it. I, I, I can't say i can't say this person he reminds me of this person because i don't think they have the same body type but when i look at how other defensive players, other defensive linemen, some of the guys like Aaron Donald, you know, Von Miller, you know, they look a certain way in their uniforms. Where well, they kind of look a little sleek. They look a little bit, I'm not going to say fashionable, but you can tell that they got a like, they got a certain fashion sense with the way they put their outfit together. Well, you look at Max Crosby, he's more that old school type of defensive end, that old school type of pass rusher, where you can tell he's not really worried about fashion when it comes to the field, but you got to look at his Instagram page, man. You got to look at him off the field. Trust me, the brother knows exactly how to go ahead and put an (laughs) outfit together but what i'm saying is that i would probably go maybe and then the fact that he has a motor that just seems like it never stopped maybe jared allen
0: okay oh that's a good one great that's a good Uh, one
1: Sure. like i said uh maybe him you know also played for the minnesota vikings right And but they have more of like that old school they kind of look nasty in their uniform because they're not worried about how it flows does it look sweet or anything like that but they both have a, a relentless motor so I'd say maybe, maybe Jared Allen, but nonetheless, like I said, uh, I love the way the kid is playing. He had three sacks against the different Broncos just on, uh, on Sunday afternoon. And like I said, I'm not surprised by any stretch because he had 10 as a rookie, double digits as a rookie. So there's no amount that he can finish with this year, which I'm pretty sure he's gonna finish with more than 10, by the way. There's no amount that he can finish with this year that is going to surprise me. Uh, just from uh, meeting him, having him on my podcast uh, back in the summertime and just watching him grow. And especially, like I said, as a rookie, coming in as a fourth round pick and coming in as the guy who was the forgotten, coming in as the guy that nobody was expected to do to see him do much because of who was drafted number four that same year out of Clemson. I think that right there just speaks volumes of his grit of that relentless type of uh, mindset and knowing that, hey, I'm the guy that's the afterthought. I'm the guy that everybody is not thinking about. I'm the guy that nobody was focusing on. Oh, we got to make sure that we trade up. We got to make sure that we do this, this, and this to get that guy. So I think that uh, he still has a chip on his shoulder and you see it every Sunday
0: afternoon. Stan, in the offseason, I all think we thought uh, Yannick Ngakwe was the uh, prize of the free agent signing class. I think you can make the case for Casey Hayward. Now, the Raiders are down a couple of cornerbacks right now. No Trayvon Mullen, no Damon Armit. Uh, Hayward's a 10-year veteran. He spent time in Green Bay. He spent time with the Chargers. He has been wonderful on the back end for the Raiders. As a fellow cornerback, what are you seeing from his play so far this year?
1: Out of Casey Hayward? Yes. I think that you're seeing somebody who is... A leader. You're seeing somebody who obviously still can play. You're seeing somebody who's making plays, but I think you're seeing somebody who is actually being able to teach the younger guys, who's being able to go ahead and keep the secondary calm in certain moments. And I think that you look back at the Miami Dolphins game, they won in the play. I mean, they won in the uh, overtime. Baltimore, they beat in overtime. And when you look at just other games that they've been able to go ahead and pull out, he's bringing that calmness to the secondary. Casey Hayward obviously coming over from the Chargers. He knows Gus Bradley. He's able to preach that gospel into the locker room. And it's one thing that I learned throughout my years that locker room is very important because when you have certain guys in there like the Trayvon Mullins or you see like the Arnets of the world who are in there and they're wondering man I don't know what what coach Gus is teaching I don't know if I can play that I don't know if it's conducive for winning I don't know if we're gonna be successful that's when a guy like Casey here can come over and be like, hey no you know I played under this guy look at what he did with the Legion of Boom trust me it works we just got to go ahead and believe in it and we got to execute a certain way so I think that it pays big dividends as much on the field but probably even more off the field, in the locker room, in the meeting rooms, things like that, just as far as preaching to the younger guys to stay focused, to go ahead, stay within the system, and believe it and watch it actually come to fruition and be successful.
0: Is he kind of defeating Father Time in a sense that he's in his 10th year stand? As a corner, you might start to see him sort of decline, but in his case, he seems to be getting better.
1: Oh, no, I wouldn't say that he's defeating Father Time just yet. I would say maybe if you look up and we start to see back in in the year 2024, the year 2025, maybe 2023, maybe you can start to go ahead and start to make that argument. But I think that, you know, the Raiders, they don't play as much man as you see the New England Patriots play. So because of that, it's not it's not as difficult to play later on when you're playing more zone coverage because you're not moving as much as far as like man coverage, things like that. But I think that also, you know, here Hayward, he's, a, he's an astute player. I remember watching him even his years in Green Bay. So like I said, I've been a fan even since way back then. So he's a smart player. And then, like I said, whenever you're not playing as much press man coverage like we did in Oakland all those years, you don't have to have the athleticism for that longevity year after year after year after year, after year like you probably would. I'm sorry, in zone coverage, you don't have need that same Uh, a bit, that same bevy of talent, that same bevy of, you know, running running fast, uh, rotate your hips, this, that, and the other, simply because sometimes you're looking at the quarterback rather than just being pressed up, man, cover things like that. But I would say once he probably gets to year 23, 24, and he's still playing at this level. Then, yeah, he's probably starting to defeat father time, things like that. But nonetheless, with today's nutrition, with the training, with the technology, players are able to play at a higher level longer. And then, always, like I said, Casey Edwards, a, a stud, phenomenal player as far as his mindset, understanding the game. That's why he's able to make so many plays. So, by all means, like I said, I love watching him play, and I'm so happy that he's in a black and silver uniform.
0: Stan, you played eight years, most of that with the Raiders, and as you mentioned. Uh, the man to man defense, that's primarily what the Raiders played when you were on defense for them. How do you develop that short term memory after you give up a big play? Because it's different for other positions. You know, a quarterback makes an incompletion. Okay, he comes right back uh, the very next play and can, you know, throws a screen and he's got a completion. Running back, he gets stopped for a short game. The next one, he can break it long. How did you develop that over time and how difficult was that? Or did it start back in college or explain for oh. me?
1: I mean, that just you you learn how to develop that a little bit over time, but I tell you this, playing in a black and silver uniform, playing for Raider Nation, with the type of fan base that we have, and especially even going back to the days in Oakland, you learn how to have a short memory because, you know, the fans, they will love you one minute and they will hate you the next. So you learn how to go ahead and block out a lot of that nonsense, a lot of that noise, just because otherwise you're not going to be able to focus, you're not going to be able to play you just learn how to have it over time because if you don't develop it you're going to get swallowed up in all of the craziness and then you're just going to be no good at all so you just learn how to sink or swim early on and it's kind of like they say sharks are born swimming so uh you better learn really really quickly or else you're going to get gobbled up in some of these waters and I think that playing corner is a lot like playing quarterback you know you throw like Mac Jones you look he throws a pick six to Trayvon Diggs on Sunday afternoon, and then he comes back right away. Very next play goes right back at that same corner and goes for a 75 yard touchdown. And that's what you call balls to the wall, eye of the tiger, in my opinion. So, growing up, you learn how to have that short memory. Raider Nation definitely will make your skin very, very tough, like an alligator, like a crocodile, uh, just because of the way that they're going to come at you. So, it's just something that comes with the territory. And Uh, When you ask me exactly how did I develop it, I really don't even know how I developed it. It's just one of those things that either you better develop it or you're going to be out of here really, really quickly.
0: Are you always thinking, don't let my man beat me? Are you ever thinking about an INT?
1: I can tell you this, and this is something I learned from two of the great ones. One, Charles Woodson, who loves to go for the INT and loves to make plays. That's why he's in the Hall of Fame. And then another one who is blanket, your guy, he won't see the he won't see the ball all game long, and that that's how he that's how he makes his money. That's how he makes his greatness. And Namdi Asamoah, and I can tell you, for playing in Oakland, playing so much man coverage, press man at that, when you're basically facing the receiver, your back is turned to the quarterback. I can tell you, it's difficult to have the I want the INT mindset because when you do that that'll cause you sometimes to try to make a play on the ball or try to guess instead of anticipate and then you wind up getting beat things like that so throughout most of my years it was always more so just cover up your man Pass breakups is kind of like the toast that you eat whenever you're eating breakfast in the morning interceptions kind of like the butter on the bread per se you know you can kind of do without the of bu- uh, the butter but you still want your toast whenever you eat your eggs or bacon or you know whatever it is you eat in the morning so Playing so much press man, it forces you to have the mindset of more pass breakups, cover up your man than INTs. When you're playing in a zone-based scheme and you're facing the quarterback, yeah, that's when you have a chance to go ahead and get those INTs. You look at Trayvon Diggs right now, probably playing the best out of all the corners in the NFL. And if you notice a lot of his plays, he's playing off man, they're in some sort of zone coverage. So he's able to see... That ball come off the quarterback's arm, and he's able to make a play on it because he's got great ball skills because he used to be a receiver when he first got to Alabama, just like his Pro Bowl level brother for the Buffalo Bills. So you know, I think that uh, it's a different mindset from zone to man. But I can tell you from my experiences back in a uh, Raider uniform, we put a lot of man coverage, a lot of press man, a lot of single high, a lot of things like that. It forces you to have to think more pass breakup than ints, but you can still get some but you just have to make sure that you go ahead and you get your toast first and then you put butter on the
0: bread second. Well, Stan, hard to believe it's week seven in the NFL already and football is back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back for another football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests. Bet online continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Don't forget to use our promo code bleed, BLEAV to receive your bonus. From football to basketball, boxing right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Stan, NBA underway. Who's your favorite team? I know I know. we talked about players who you liked uh, back in the Seattle Supersonic. Did you follow them to OKC or you got a new team or... Oh,
1: no, I mean, the CLC Supersonics, they were my favorite team back in the 90s. Like I said, I love Gary Payton, Sean Kim, Brain Man, you know, all of that. Then they moved to OKC. Obviously, I was a fan of them as well. Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, James Harden. But no, my my favorite team, probably ever since I was maybe, and I guess maybe by the time I left high school, was always the San Antonio Spurs. It was always my favorite team. And I say that because I loved the way that they went about business. And I say this because... The San Antonio Spurs, and this is, like I said, this has changed now because the guard has changed, but like, they're boring. You got David Robinson, Tim Duncan, Ginobili, Tony Parker, even Kawhi Leonard Leonard, when he was in a Spurs uniform, they were boring. Like they weren't, they didn't have pizzazz. Like, if you think about it in this generation, they didn't have a lot of social media, Instagram followers, you know? Brooklyn Nets got a lot of in the scrimp Yeah. Houston Rockets did with
0: nothing sexy about them.
1: Exactly. But then yeah. they all, but they would come into your arena. They would play team ball, pass the ball, take the open shot. And then they'll walk out of your arena with a W. And I remember the way that they would always do it with, you know, a lot of foreigners, things like that. Uh, it was very boring. So I remember. Which really comes to mind. They swept LeBron James back in 2007 to win another title. Then they go, they're playing the, uh, the, the Miami heat in 2013. And I remember sitting there, I sat right beside the owner in game six. I went down to Miami, I'm sitting game. I'm sitting courtside with the owner, we're up by like eight points. <laughs> and with like 20 seconds to go and I'm like, okay, we're about to go ahead and win this game, we're gonna ride home. And they had already were roping off the court, they're miking up the owner, he's about to go ahead and give his acceptance speech. And then I saw Chris Bosch, When LeBron James misses a three-pointer. Chris Bosh gets that rebound. He hits Ray Allen in that corner pocket. As soon as I saw that ball go to Ray, I'm like, oh, holy hell. I don't (laughs) like how this is going to end. So uh, they tied the game up. They wound up going to overtime. Then the Heat won. Then it went to game seven. And I don't care who you are. I ain't trying to play LeBron James at home in game seven. I ain't trying to do that. And we saw that, obviously, the Miami Heat won. uh, And then LeBron won his second ring. And then they come back in year in uh, 2014. And they're playing them again and this time you could tell the spurs were like we're not playing no games with you they got the heat up out of there in five games it was the highest i think the highest margin of victory per game in nba finals history at the time i'm not sure if that record still stands but what i'm saying is they did it so boring and Kawhi leonard was the nba finals mvp and i think he was after like 15 points a game but they do it so boring and that's where because me coming from Austin, Texas, and I, you know, I don't know how familiar you are with you, uh, with Texas, Dennis, but me not being from Houston or Dallas or something like that, you know, a lot of people always kind of pictured me as like, okay, he's kind of boring, like he doesn't have any pizzazz to him. So I always felt like I somehow was connected with the Spurs, just because you know I don't have the cool name, like I don't dress cool, so. I'm always kind of looked at as, I mean, he's just kind of plain Jane, just kind of boring. So that's, so I always gravitated to that because you don't need to have all that to be good at something. You just gotta be good. But so many people will place that premium on, well, you know, it doesn't look flashy or, you know, it just doesn't look the way that uh, I feel it you look. So I always, uh, I always gravitated to the Spurs because of that, because I loved how they would boringly come into your arena Slap you around and then leave up out of there.
0: As you know, I'm a Warriors fan. I grew up in the Bay Area, and I'm not a bandwagon jumper. I remember going to the Warriors finals in 1975. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Washington Bullets. They weren't the Wizards. They were the Bullets back then. So I think if my Warriors can get uh, Clay Thompson, if he can oh, win, no doubt about it, seventy five percent of himself. I, I, like,
1: I tell people, I'm like, man, I'm like, man, listen, the Clippers got. Kawhi, they got Paul George. The Lakers got Westbrook, LeBron, AD, Carmelo, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Red John Rondo, one of my favorite point guards of all time. Man, listen, I tell people this all the time. If you think that them Golden State Warriors are gonna go and just fade into the abyss and be the seventh or eighth seed or something like that with a healthy Clay, a healthy Steph, a healthy Draymond, and now Wiseman in the mix and their other and their other uh peripheral players, I tell people, I'm like, man, if you really, really think that with those two sharpshooters healthy and with Draymond Green and with Steve Kerr, still the head coach, if you think that they're just going to be some, you know, seventh or eighth seed and, you know, losing the first round, you got another thing coming. Like, I don't see any reason why the, the, uh, the Warriors will not be back in the top four seeds in the Western Conference playoffs. And I do not see any reason why they won't go at least to, I'm going to say pessimistically, second round but more than likely at least the uh the the western conference finals just because like you know obviously clay was hurt with the the acl that he tore against the Raptors. if he didn't do that they win that title i agree and then and then obviously coming into the 2020 2021 season tearing the achilles he's out the whole season i'm like man like please do not think that you know after those two lost seasons all of a sudden they just gonna disappear so no trust me like they're gonna be they're gonna be in that top four seed no doubt
0: yeah. about it. Plus, they got one of my favorite players back, Andre Iguodala. I know he's. Oh good. Yeah. yeah! Oh
1: yeah, Iggy. I, I was just Iggy. watching them last night, <laughs> uh, or Tuesday night, whichever Tuesday night, night it was when they yeah, beat the, when they, they beat the,
0: beat the Lakers. Olympic yeah.
1: yeah. Oh yeah, won me. the MVP award on LeBron.
0: Oh, right in the NBA Finals, exactly. All right, Stan. Let's talk some uh, Raiders Eagles now. And uh, on look at on paper, this is a game the Raiders should win. But we also thought that about the Bears. Now, when you look at this Eagles team, Stan, offensively. They are in the shotgun formation ninety three percent of the time. How does that make them one dimensional? I think that it makes them
1: it makes them one dimensional to the to the extent of you. It's very difficult to run the good old fashioned run game power eye. You got that that lone setback seven yards deep, and you hand it off to them. Now everything's more in the form of the read option. It's more in the form of that that veer type of game, things like that. So it just takes away from the power running game. You can still have a running game. Now it's just more, like I said, of the read option, where the quarterback can go ahead. He can keep it based on what that defensive end is doing. He can go ahead and give it to the running back if he feels like the defensive end is cr- is crashing down a little bit too much, things like that. So it definitely does take an element of the run game away. But that's the that's that's where college football a la now the NFL, because that's where it's matriculating from. That's where the game is now going, where quarterbacks are now in the gun. Because of the read option, the ability to be able to go ahead and run the RPO, which affects the linebackers and the safeties, things like that. So it definitely does take away from that power running game that you would see that the Dallas Cowboys are able to have with their offensive line, Zeke Elliott in the backfield, things like that. So it, it takes away from a certain element, but you can still be effective in the run game out of the gun, or should I say the uh, the, the pistol? I think that's what they call it.
0: Yeah, the Titans and Derrick Henry, also old school. But Stan, at the same time, I I know the defense has got to think about the RPO, but then it almost eliminates play action pass, and that's one less thing the defense has to worry about, right? Well,
1: that's where the RPO comes in, because even though it's the RPO and you're in the gun, the running back is to your left or to your right, that that still can give the effect of the play action, because like I said, with the RPO now, Whatever decision you make as a linebacker or as a safety, you're wrong, because if you go and you actually honor the run, you honor that that fake that he's doing to the running back, then he's going to pull it out Then he's going to throw that slant right where you just left. If you play it a little soft, you play it a little slow, then he's going to hand it to the running back. So it still is able to be effective, just maybe in a different way. And that's why the RPO is so effective. That's why you see certain college football teams are able to run it to perfection because it makes the defense wrong whatever they choose. And then when you look at the true the true efficacy of the play action fake. It only is able to be effective if the run game is actually rolling because that run game ain't rolling. The linebackers don't feel like they got to go ahead and fly up there. They're gonna go ahead and slow play it because they trust that their defensive line can go ahead and handle it. So even with the RPO out of the gun, it still is able to be extremely effective as would a play action fake with the quarterback under center.
0: Sam, the uh, Eagles offense is led by second year quarterback, Jalen Hurts, who tended uh... Alabama, as well as Oklahoma, you've seen him play. What are your thoughts on him so far?
1: I think that uh, it's all going to come down to his accuracy. When you look at how back at Alabama, the reason why Tool was able to take his spot was because Tool was able to pull the trigger. There's certain moments as a quarterback where you got to be able to make quarterback throws. And that window may be only this big, but you know what? An accurate quarterback is able to go ahead and put it right there where he needs to. And then that window is not going to be open for long. So you got to be able to pull the trigger. And the thing that the thing that I noticed about Jalen Hurts, even from his rookie year at Alabama, he was the recipient of the good run game, the uh, the good defense with Nick Saban, all of those things. But then all of a sudden, you could tell college football started changing, and Nick Saban knew that he had to change with the times. I got to get me a quarterback that's able to sling this pill. I can't just have a game manager at quarterback. And ever since they went to Tua in that national championship game. Alabama has been prolific when it came to offensive uh, offensive uh, scoring, passing, things like that. They've been prolific ever since. So because of that, that's where I think Hurts has to turn the corner. And the 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 creation of the RPO, the spread offense, was to make quarterbacks who were not insanely accurate still be effective because now you look at Colin Kaepernick way back in 2012 with the San Francisco 49ers. When I do this RPO, like I told you, the linebackers and the safeties have to commit to this running back that makes the middle of the field wide open because the linebackers and the safeties are now shooting the gaps. They're now attacking the run game. It makes the it makes the middle of the field more wide open. That's why you see a lot of the times teams, they do a lot of RPOs who is usually their leading receiver, tight ends and slot receivers, not really the outside guys. And so you look back, you saw. Anquan Bolden, you saw Vernon Davis were the top receivers for the 49ers back in 2012. You look at the Baltimore Ravens, the tight ends are usually the top, the top receivers. That right there in itself, that's why the RPO was created. For Jalen Hurts, he's got to be better at making those quarterback throws in the tight windows and just pulling the trigger and letting it go. That's what I see out of him that he needs to do to turn the corner.
0: All right, Stan, we talked about the Raiders' defense in the first half of the podcast. Now I want to focus on the offense. And I think one of the things Uh, that we're seeing out of the Raiders offense is Derek Carr's trust in his young receivers and Henry Ruggs and Brian Edwards. Yes, were dealt with injuries last year, inconsistency, and you can just see, especially for Ruggs, I mean, Carr just winds up and lets it go and lets Let's Ruggs just run under it. They're both averaging over 20 yards a catch. Ruggs has nearly as many receiving yards already this year as he did last year. I mean, Stan. Derek makes the point, and we'll hear from Derek in a little bit, that he's developing the trust. And when you're not practicing and you're not there, it's hard to do it. Now these guys are there, and you can see it in the games.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you look at the Denver Broncos game, he, and this time where Derek Carr's getting pressure, he's just flinging it up there. And I think that, uh, obviously, Ruggs is able to uh, run up under it. And then you look at Brian Edwards. And Brian Edwards, for a split second, he looked back, he saw Darby, number 21 for the Denver Broncos, and he almost kind of boxed him out. He kind of boxed him out for a split second just to give him room to go ahead and go for the ball i thought that was fantastic and those types of nuances those types of little inner tricks that you can do when the ball is in the air that right there builds so much confidence in the quarterback and okay you know what this pass rush is getting to me i can fling the ball up there and i trust my receiver to a go and get it but b if he doesn't he has enough wherewithal to understand don't let my DB who's covering me pick it all that was now just second and 10 or third and 10 or you know what we just bring the punt team on we punt the ball rather than it be an INT slash
0: turnover here's what Derek Carr had to say about his two young receivers and the relationship that they're
2: developing there's a certain level of trust you can build in practice that's one thing but you know, playing football games is a completely another, another thing, you know, and um, these guys have proven over and over and over again that they'll compete for the football when I throw it up to them. Just like I, I said, I say, I'm going to, uh, in training camp, I say, I'm going to give these guys chances, you know, and I, I think we've proven that I'm going to give them chances, you know, uh, you know, and the, the thing that they, they get the most credit for is, is either they come down with it or nobody does, you know, and that's the thing for me, you know, if you want to play football that way, if you want if Henry wants me to keep throwing it up to him you know he he knows it's either him or nobody and he continues to do that Brian continues to do that Um, Waller obviously continues to do that Um, but uh, for those for those two young receivers um, you know like we said I said I'm going to give them chances to make SportsCenter it's just on them if they want to or not you know and uh, obviously there's a lot that I have to put it in the right place and all that kind of stuff but I meaning that I, I trust them, you know, and they—they've proven it in the games. Practice is one thing. I've had a lot of guys that can do it in practice, and you get to the games, and it's hard to cut that ball loose after the third time of it not working, you know, because uh, I have decisions to make for everybody, you know, in the whole organization. Every decision I make matters, and so um, they've proven over and over again that they'll make those plays.
0: You know, Stan, I texted you during the middle of the Broncos game. The Raiders' offense was playing so well after it struggled the previous two weeks, had scored a combined just 23 points, and I said. Is it the play of the offensive line? Is it Greg Olson's play calling? I mean, Stan, the Raiders ran a screen, and I think it got like 28 yards. I think I, I can't remember the last time they ran a screen under Gruden. Do you think it was a combination of the O-line? Was it the play calling? What did you see?
1: I just saw great uh, play design, and and obviously because in that moment of the game, Denver, they want to get after the quarterback. So I think that anytime the defensive ends, the defensive line, they want to get after the quarterback. They're pinning their ears back. That's the best time to run a screen just because the timing of it, the defense is not expecting it. So I thought I thought the timing probably was the best of all just because, and then on top of the play selection, then we all know Josh Jacobs, great running back. So I think that uh, when you factor in everything in its totality, that probably is why you saw such success.
0: Dan, if the Raiders continue to put up big numbers offensively, I think they could be hard to beat. Uh, you think? <laughs> you think?
1: <laughs> I think it's all going to come down to the defense. The, uh, the offense can score. You look at the Chicago Bears in the Los Angeles Chargers game, notwithstanding, this team can score tr- pretty much with anybody. We saw how they did against Kansas City both times last year. It's going to come down to the defense. The Casey Haywards of the world, the Jonathan Abrams of the world, the Trayvon Mullins of the world, the KJ Wrights of the world, Max Crosby and Gakaway, those people. Are you going to be able to rush the passer, sack the passer, intercept the ball, make a play on the ball when it counts in big moments against the Chiefs, against the Chargers the second time around at Allegiant Stadium, that you're going to have to win those games to win the division and make the playoff games like that that's what it's all going to come down to i think the offense is going to play well we saw they played well last year i think this season is going to be contingent upon the play of the defense in key moments late in the fourth quarter
0: all right it's time to pick some afc west games now the chargers have a bye and the broncos are playing thursday night we're recording this podcast on thursday afternoon so we're going to skip them so now that leaves us with a pretty interesting matchup Chiefs. At the Titans, KC yeah. a five and a half point favorite. Stand on the road. I mean, Titans coming off a huge win over Buffalo. I'm not sure who I, I'm picking in this one. What about you?
1: Oh man, uh, up until Monday night, I probably would just go flat out with the Chiefs. But the uh, Tennessee found a way to go ahead and battle back and uh, beat the uh, the Buffalo Bills. Showed a lot of grit, a lot of toughness. Mike Vrabel really has that guy, really has that team believing. Where's the game gonna be at? It's gonna be in Tennessee, Tennessee, right? Tennessee, yep. Yeah, I would go with Tennessee somehow, some way squeaking away. The last second, Derrick Henry having another big day and the Chiefs in their mysterious missing element to why they don't look the same as they did last year continues.
0: Yeah, I think it's that defense, the Chiefs defense definitely letting them down. I'll tell you what, I like the Titans. I like the old school ground and pound with Derrick Henry. I, I am gonna go with the Titans. 24-21, uh, maybe 28 to 24. Raiders are only a three-point favorite against the Eagles. You like the silver and black at home, Stan?
1: Uh, I better like the silver and black. <laughs> this is a, this is another game that you cannot go out there. This is the Chicago Bears. I agree.
0: You, gotta, you I got a you got a young
1: 100%. you got a young quarterback. He's he's not where he needs to be at. You got to take advantage of that. You are now four and two. You can lose this game, and now you go to four and three, where you're in that weird area where you're above 500, but just barely. So this is another trap game, in my opinion. You saw how Tampa Bay went ahead and smacked Philadelphia last week, but Philadelphia started coming back right at the end. You can't allow that to happen. You got to jump on this team early. You got to make sure that they do not feel any level of confidence, any level of, oh, we got a shot in this game. You got to take all of the wind out of their sail. And I mean, early on, that way you can now be five and two with a nice, soft or should i say a nice cushy type of a record going into the bye week you don't want to go into the bye week halloween weekend four and three you want to go in five into feeling yourself showing that you know what we didn't let all the trash all the nonsense going on with the media and our former head coach affect us so this right here this is one of those games you do not want to go ahead and stub your toe going into the bye week you don't want to do that you want to make sure that you take care of business so i'm putting all my faith in the raiders To do just that and it not be a squeaker like they did against the Tua-less Miami Dolphins several weeks ago.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. You don't want to go into a bye and have to sit with a loss for two weeks. I do think they win uh 28-21, maybe 28 to 17, but I do think the Raiders come out victorious. And I'll tell you what, if anybody said the Raiders would be five and two before the bye week, everybody would have signed up for that in a heartbeat. All right, before we get to who St. Thomas is playing and which college game you're calling this weekend, I wanted to give a shout-out to University of the Pacific Women's Soccer. I do their play-by-play. Last night, they won their 10th game of the season. Stan, the previous four years, they won a combined 11 games. They haven't won 10 or more games since 2009, so just wanted to give them a shout-out on the podcast. And now, who is St. Thomas High School playing this weekend?
1: This weekend, we have our biggest rivalry pretty much ever since i've been there st Pius high school it's on the north side of houston big game always a lot of electricity in the stadium because like i said all the kids know each other they grew up playing against each other or played with each other and pop warner and all that so this is a big rivalry week so uh, yeah tomorrow night st Pius high school
0: and what game are you calling this weekend for college football
1: Oh, strangely, I am not calling a game this weekend. I haven't. Yes, I got a a little bit of a bye this weekend. So I'm definitely going to go ahead and enjoy it and uh, make sure that I can take full advantage of it.
0: Well, you have a great weekend and make it a relaxing, make it a relaxing Saturday. Exactly. Friday night, and then you got the Raiders Sunday. Exactly. That's that's what I'm hoping now.
1: I'm hoping the Raiders don't ruin my bye weekend.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Stan, great stuff as always, my man.
1: Always, my man. Can't wait to be back on with you next week.
0: All right, that's going to do it for another edition of the Believe in Raiders podcast presented by BetOnline.ag. For my partner, Stanford Route, I'm Dennis Ackerman. Thanks so much for listening, and may all your punts find the coffin corner.
1: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts